Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. So we've seen in Alberta uh, under the NDP uh, and what we've seen in other provinces uh, is a push towards universal childcare, kind of the one size fits all subsidized. Here's where you go. Here's where your kids go. And here's how much you pay. Uh, $25 a day is is what the NDP have set up here in Alberta. Uh, and typically when we see governments talking about childcare policy, that tends to be the option that is favored. You might recall back going way back uh, to, I guess, was the 2006 election when there was a real different vision on, on how to do this. The liberals at the time were proposing a national child care, universal child care program, whereas the conservatives under Stephen Harper favored uh, targeting assistance to families directly. And it's the latter that ended up prevailing. So why have those other options seemingly fallen off uh, the, the table? Why aren't they a part of the conversation? So if governments are going to talk about child care policy, where are these other options that are more tailored to families' needs? Or maybe look at tax cuts, tax credits, as opposed to big government subsidies. A new report out from the think tank Cardis, and in fact, a number of other groups signed on to it as well, urging governments to consider other policies and not just the one-size-fits-all universal approach. Joining us to talk about uh, what they see as some of the shortcomings in the universal child care approach or what other options should be on the table. Andrea Morozak joins us, Family Program Director at Cardis, Cardis.ca. Andrea, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me. Talk about the need for this. I mean, is it your sense and and the others who have signed on to this report as well that at least the trend among policymakers is in the direction of, of universal child care? It seems to be the only policy option that hovers out there as something that people uh, return to, uh, whether it be the media or activists. And uh, certainly in Alberta, we've seen pilot projects toward $25 a day care, um, which could be perceived as a step in that direction. It's not the only option out there, but it is something that comes up again and again and again. And um, so we wanted to write a different vision and have a positive vision for child care. And that was the point of consensus for all of the experts who signed on, simply to understand and, and know via the research that universal child care does not work as advertised. Right. And let's talk about that, because, I mean, it's, it's billed as affordable, it's billed as equitable, and th- those are easy things, I guess, for proponents to try to get across. But what, what gets lost in the conversation? There's a lot of missing aspects to the discussion, I think, and um, one of them is that uh, generally when uh, universal child care is put in place, it's a particular type of care, center-based care that the spaces are being funded in. Um, We've seen continuously via uh, surveys and polls that parents don't choose that type of care as their first choice. So I think the parental voice is really lost when we move in that in that policy direction. Parents, of course, don't have a union, don't have representation or money to go and lobby governments. So um, we really wanted to talk about a positive vision of childcare that includes a lot of different choices, the choices that parents are already making, and that gets lost, I think, in the discussions we have around childcare today. Right. I mean. To take a step back, what should be the goal or the objective of designing any kind of child care policy? 
Well, first and foremost, I think to help those who really need it, um, which means a targeted program rather than a universal one. So what we have in this country, um, uh, we are grateful to have a middle class that can largely take care of our own children um, and even pay for child care. But where that's not possible or feasible, we want to be looking at helping those who really need it. And what um, happened in Quebec when they introduced their provincial system is that you saw the middle class and upper class using their their child care system on the backs of the people who could really have used the help. Mm-hmm. So that's another missing part of the debate. Who I don't feel comfortable with that. I suspect many other Canadians wouldn't feel comfortable with that. Um, so yeah, that gets into the issue of the cost of child care, which is of course a very contentious one. Um, one of my favorite sections in this report talks about how uh, government subsidies to child care spaces actually increases the cost of child care for everybody. And so we go into the economic reasons why that is the case. But um, it's just one of the unintended side effects or consequences um, of so-called universal programs that, again, we don't really get to talk about very much. Well, I mean, it is true. If it is universal, it's the same price for everybody, then we, we are indeed subsidizing upper middle class or, or wealthy families who, who want to use it, which, which does seem, seem strange. Yeah, it's, it certainly is, it runs counterintuitive to the type of um, helps and supports we'd like to have for those who need it most. Um, but again, also the cost rising as a result of, of subsidies, that was really interesting to me um, to, to look at and see how that works in the economy for child care um, and understand that even the daycare centers that don't receive subsidies then have to compete with those centers that do receive the subsidies and then their wages have to increase and all the sorts of things that accompany that it just increases the cost all around and generally once again for a form of care that is not the first second or third choice of canadians well the quebec model and proponents will will point to the fact that it's it's widely used uh and and also that there are more women than entering the workforce as a result of that uh is is that your sense of of the impact and is that something that that should guide our decision well, something we talked about a bit in the report was the idea that childcare should be about the care of a child, uh, no matter who does it, and not necessarily that it should be about these other issues like increasing GDP or more women into the labor force. So that w- that's point one. But the second point would be that in Quebec, they had a unique situation, and it was that fewer women were in the labor force. So when they introduced the child care um, provincial system that actually had the capacity to change the work um, arrangements or, or uh, choices of women, for the rest of Canada, we already have such a high labor force participation rate for women. I'm not convinced that we would see that change in um, the activities of, of women and mothers. Um, but mostly I feel like child care policy shouldn't be coercive in any direction, um, that it should be about the care of a child and not these other uh, peripheral issues. They can be very important, they can be very interesting, but that's not what child care policy should be primarily about. Well, so what are, what are the models uh, should policymakers be considering? So we have... Um, 
we had several signatories from very different parts of the political spectrum sign on to this. And at the end of the report, um, we've put forward suggestions that therefore have a very broad range. Um, you could have high levels of government funding for parents, for example. You could have a reduction in taxes for parents. You could introduce income splitting. Um, we also have profiled countries across the globe who do things differently. Um, oftentimes in Canada, we'll talk about looking at Scandinavia, but there isn't one Scandinavian model. So we profile Finland and Sweden and come down more in favor of the Finland, the Finnish side of things rather than the Swedish side of things, where there's at least some degree of parental choice funding for parents and a robustness to the system uh, for children before the age of six or seven that just doesn't exist in Sweden and um, arguably may not even exist here. So we have a lot of um, history and context in looking at the Canadian policy environment and then comparing and contrasting with other places, always keeping in mind that different governments come from different ideological positions and they would maybe grab hold of different sides of those of the issue. Yeah, and that's an interesting point because there are political divides in this and there may be those on, on you know the conservative side of the spectrum who would prefer less government involvement or prefer, you know, the approach of tax credits or tax cuts. But even from more of a left-wing kind of social democratic perspective, it's an interesting point you make about uh, instead of subsidizing centers, why not just subsidize parents and families directly? Yeah, and then this is where it gets kind of into the lobbying domain because the daycare industry finds it easier to get money straight from government. That's how they can increase the number of spaces that they offer. But it's not a perfectly um, parent-friendly solution. I think it bypasses the parents who have the capacity to receive that money if we're going to fund in that way and then choose how we're going to spend it. We define child care as the care of a child no matter who does it. And, and child care has done... has is done in Canada in so many different ways. Um, the, there's an amazing diversity of, of, of ways of caring for children, and we just don't want to overlook or preference one way over another way, um, which when you funnel all of the policy into that so, so-called universal direction, then that's what ends up happening as a prioritization of one form of care over the many others that people are already using. Right, and I mean, it's kind of a one-size-fits-all approach then, isn't it? Well, it really is, and I think it um, does damage to those to the diversity that we see. And I, it's interesting that in some ways, at even the federal level, there's a capacity to understand that we can't have a fits-all system. So I'm glad to see that the federal government has special consideration for Aboriginal communities, for example. Um, but why just Aboriginal communities? At each community is unique. You have urban centers in Canada, you have rural situations where the same kind of care isn't going to maybe work in the same way. So um, to keep the conversation alive and local and have it be as close to the parents involved as possible is is another one of the underlying premises of the report. Yeah, well, some interesting points. Uh, folks, and read much more uh, on all of this at cardis.ca. Andrea, thanks so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, that's Andrea Morosik, Family Program Director at the think tank Cardis, Cardis.ca. Our number here, 403-974-8255. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary. 
Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.